This morning as we continue this series of conversations about God as our way maker, as the the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness, we are invited to go deeper, to look deeper for a hope that is real and true and lasts. I think that maybe we do the holidays poorly. And that might be a nice way. We might just flat out do them wrong. In this season where we talk about hope, in this season when we talk about joy, in this season when we talk about peace and love, more prescriptions are written and filled for anxiety and antidepressant medicines than any other time of the year. I think maybe we're doing it wrong. I think maybe we have this beautiful surface of a relentless confidence like the waves crashing on the shore, but unbeknownst to many, there is an undertow of despair, an undertow of loss, an undertow of hopelessness and brokenness that pulls and drags and seeks to yank us into the depths of loss and despair until we are hopeless. So many today looking for hope, looking for a reason, looking for a way out. We feel not enough. We feel broken. We feel without resource. And like time is running short, we feel compelled to look for happiness wherever we can. And so we grasp at these passing by false hopes, these ships that are sinking all around us, but we climb into one after another to find ourselves trying to tread water again and again. In search of something deeper, something more real, something that will last, something that really is truly hope and joy and peace and love. We look for these things that we are talking about, but we don't find them. And our intention in this season, in these conversations, is to to begin to look and see who it is that showed up in this world On that Christmas day. Who are we talking about. When we talk about God. Who are we talking about. When we talk about Jesus. We started by talking about him. As the way maker. The one that Isaiah the prophet. Proclaimed was doing a new thing. Making a way. Through the barren and desert. Dry empty places of life. We looked into the John's telling of the story when he fed the 5,000. There seemed to be no way. It seemed to be an impossibility. There just wasn't enough. And how often we feel not enough. Like the day is getting late and we don't have enough. We don't have enough energy. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. <laughs> We wake up and think, I didn't get enough sleep, and we go to bed thinking, I didn't get enough done. We live in this perpetual not enough, an epidemic 
And he says, in me, there's no such thing as not enough. In me, there is enough. In me, there is more than enough as I take the little and multiply it. And then we, we continued on to see him as the miracle worker as we looked at Mark's telling of the same story and saw this, this remarkable reality. They asked, what do you have? That they already had the ingredients of the miraculous. They already had the, the pieces, the seeds of the miraculous. But we don't notice things when they're small like seeds. We don't notice the ingredients that can become something remarkable if they were put into the hands of God. And so we ignore them and we feel empty. We feel like we don't have enough. We feel like nobody. And we saw That as they counted the men, because that's what you did in that time, that it wasn't a man who made a difference for everyone. It was one of the ones that nobody counted. It was a boy, a child. Nobody counted him. He was forgotten. He was written off unimportant. And yet, the one who didn't count, counted for everyone. (laughs) Not only that. You think about his mother, who wasn't counted, wouldn't have been counted, who that morning, packing that little lunch that Jesus used to feed thousands, had no idea the power of what she was doing in that simple, kind act of care and love for someone else. Nobody counted her. And yet those simple actions were the very ingredients that led to the miracle that Jesus was working. We never quite know what it is we have until we surrender it to him. And today we ask this question of what does it really mean to say that our God is a promise making and a promise keeping God? What difference does it make? Where can we find hope when we are adrift in this hopelessness? When we are overcome with this list of things that didn't work out, this list of things and times and moments when we've been let down, forgotten, written off, when we feel invisible. We're going to go to the story in Luke chapter 1. You can turn there if you'd like. Feel free to use your phone or whatever's around you. There's some Bibles in the, in the chairs. If you need a Bible, feel free to take that one home. But Luke chapter 1, we're going to be verse 11 in a minute. But we, we find this, we meet this couple in Luke chapter 1. It's an older couple. In his words, he's old and his wife is along in years. I guess that's a nice way of saying she's old too. And you don't really want to talk about that much if you're a smart man. Apparently he is. And so it's Zachariah and Elizabeth. The really, one of my favorite little, little bits in this story, this little line that most people just read by, it says they were blameless before God. They were blameless before God. That God looked at them and he saw righteousness. He saw holiness. He saw someone who loved him and trusted him and loved others well. They were blameless before God. But there was a problem. 
Maybe it doesn't seem like as much of a problem now. We certainly don't connect it as much to identity as they did, but it is a challenge if you've ever lived with it. They were barren. They wanted children more than anything, and they had made it into old age with no kids. It certainly would have meant ridicule and questioning. People would have looked at them and said, yeah, you are, you're a priest, you serve God, you love God, but I don't know if it's real. I mean, because if it was real, certainly God would have blessed you with a kid. Probably does feel more familiar for some. And there was this sense of challenge. How do we live with this unfulfilled hope? How do we continue to serve and love and honor God? And, and that's exactly what he had to do. And we meet Zachariah and Elizabeth on the day of days for a priest. Zachariah, it's his turn to go into the Holy of Holies and to, to, to pray and offer sacrifice and to, to, to burn incense for the people of God. You got to do this as a priest once in your life. You would serve on a rotation as a priest for a week or two a year, maybe a month or two a year, but once in your life, you went into the Holy of Holies. Now, this was at the center of the temple, and the temple was understood to be the place where the divine and the earthly intersect, where heaven and earth cross, and the difference gets very thin. If you were ever going to experience God, this would be the place. Now, the beautiful thing that we find after Jesus is that you are that place. We are the temple of God, the holy of holies, and he intersects and connects with us in us. But at this time, this is that place. And it was such a holy place, they were worried. If you wintered into this holy place unprepared, you might die. Like the holiness of God would just kill you. So they wore bells on their robes and they tied a rope around Zachariah's waist as he went in. Just in case he died, they could pull him out. <laughs> and this is when we meet him. And in verse 11, we pick up the story and it says that while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, in that holy place, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. If you were ever going to see an angel, this is where you'd expect to see an angel. And he was standing right by the incense altar and Zechariah was shaken. Understatement of the decade, he was shaken. Says he was overwhelmed with fear. In fact, the angel's first word, every angel's first words are don't be afraid. So it kind of leads me to believe that angels are not chubby babies with little wings holding them up. They're probably scary. They're probably frightening. There is something about their appearance that scares us every time. It doesn't look like the one on top of your Christmas tree. And so the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. We see that in this midst of hope, they've continued to pray, continued to call out to God. It says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. You're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. 
He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah has been in this place of hopelessness, this place of despair for some time. And his response may seem natural. It's certainly if you've kind of lost touch with reality, it would be natural. But he's there and he says, okay, how can I be sure this will happen? How, how, how can I believe you? I have a feeling the angel got mad at this point. I'm Gabriel, he says. You're in the center of the temple, the holiest of place. An angel shows up to you in the center of the temple and tells you something's going to happen and you don't believe it. Like if you're ever going to believe that what you've seen is an angel, this is the time to believe it. Right? Like, I get, like, if you, if he'd had a dream and he thought, well, maybe it was yesterday's hummus, maybe it had gone bad, and now I'm just having weird dreams, I'm not really sure. How can I be sure this is going to happen? Or even, like, if he's out in the field and encounters an angel, okay, maybe I'm seeing things. But you're in the temple, the holiest place in, on earth, the place you would expect to experience God. An angel shows up. And you don't believe it. It's what happens to us a lot of times when we hear from God. Doubt, question. We get disconnected from reality when we in despair. And so he just doesn't see it. And the angel continues like, listen, because you don't believe, because you struggle with this so much, I'm going to help you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a sign that lets you know this is going to happen. Here's your sign. You're not going to be able to talk. And his wife celebrated it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to talk until it happens. You're not going to be able to talk. Now, now, outside, everyone was waiting on Zachariah to come out. They're starting to get worried. They're wondering why it was taking so long. They're pulling on the rope. They're listening for bells. What's going on? And he finally comes out, and he's making all kinds of gestures. I don't know, like wings or angel face. I don't, I don't know. He's making some kind of gestures. They realize he's seen something. He's seen and experienced something while he was in there. And so then he finishes out his week of service, and he goes home. It says, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. And then went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. You can imagine as he entered in that day, there was, he was maybe holding on to this shred of hope. Maybe one day. But we're old now. This is impossible. But maybe one day, if only... And in this, we, can, we have a tendency to lose ourselves when we feel hopeless. 
When we feel like there are no possibilities for us, no way forward, no solutions to our problems, we kind of lose touch with, with reality. We don't see things as they really are. All we see is the problem. All we see is what's broken. We know that we need hope, but it can feel like hope is hard to come by. You know, what we usually do is just settle for imposters. We settle for imposters to hope. The first one is this wish fulfillment. We settle for wish fulfillment as if it would, its promises would really bring us hope. And it just, it, it's just chasing after times and places and stuff and relationships that are really unattainable. They're, they're unreachable. We're just, we're looking some to get back to a golden age and some to some kind of future place when suffering and pain and all that is lost. It's wish fulfillment, this kind of imposter of hope that politicians offer us, right? Previous president offered like future utopian type hope. Existing president, like let's go back to some golden age and they're both wrong. You can't do either one of those. Hope operates in the now. Hope operates in reality. You can't disconnect from reality and think that this thing I wish for will suddenly make me happy. This person I wish for will suddenly make me happy. This thing out there will finally bring me joy. All of the promises of the things that we wish for and the places and the times that we wish for are hollow and leave us disconnected from reality and still longing for something else. Still aching Because it has disconnected us from reality. The second imposter is desire. (laughs) Desire. Desire makes promises that if you'll just get this new gadget, if you'll just get this new truck, if you'll just get this new TV, this new iPhone, this new whatever, then you'll be satisfied. That'll be enough, right? The next one will be enough. And it's never enough. It's never enough. We don't only just desire stuff. We, we have desires for achievements and accomplishments. We have desires for relationships. If I can just get that person, then it'll be enough. And I'll be happy if I just find this. If I just get that, then that will somehow be enough. It is, it is this idea that, that permeates this season, right? We are looking to buy the perfect thing to make that person we care about happy. We share wish lists of the things that we desire in hopes that we'll be happy. I hate Christmas lists. I get asked for them, like, I, I don't have one. Until, like, push and push and push, like, okay, here, this. But I'm like, just, like, I think it defeats the whole purpose of gifts, right? Like, a, whole, a gift is me knowing you, caring about you, and wanting to do something for you that I know you'll like. If you don't know what I like, you have no obligation to get me anything, and I don't have any obligation to get you anything, so we'll just pray for each other and be done. Right? Let's just go on. Merry Christmas. But that's enough. Right? Don't feel, don't feel obligated to buy stuff for anybody. If you do it out of obligation, it's not a gift anyway. Sorry. I'm a little distracted. <laughs> desire. 
right? Desire turns happiness into something that can be bought or attained. Hope. Hope is grounded in something far more permanent than any materialistic thing and stuff and really anything. Desire, desire, desire makes us spend three quarters of our lives buying stuff that we spend the last quarter of our life trying to get rid of for half what we paid for it. Desire is full of promises of importance and attention and satisfaction and peace, but it never delivers. Hope has to be built on something more permanent than stuff or acquisition or desire. This leads us to the last place we tend to go looking, a false imposter of hope, that ship with a hole in it that we climb into. It's escape. Escape. Now, I'm sure you never try to escape in the, in the looking for hope. You probably never, never, ever play video games for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, five hours, and get so engrossed in it that you've escaped reality and you've conquered the enemy in the game and feel like a hero somehow for pushing buttons. Right? Or, or, or I'm sure there's no one, no one who gets caught up in the Hallmark or Netflix Christmas movies to the point that you find yourself sitting on the couch weeping <laughs> because you've entered into their reality and feel what they feel so deeply. You've escaped your own. I'm sure it never happens. No movies, no TV. You've, you've not gotten lost in a series on on Netflix or Hulu or Prime for hours, nobody escapes like that. Or no, if I nobody lives for vacations, right? Like if I can just make it to vacation, just get a week off, then I'll then I'll just feel better. I'll finally be happy. I just hope living for the vacation. We do it in bigger ways too. I have met military. Like I just got to get out of Goldsboro. Everything will be better when I get out of Goldsboro. They like moved here a week ago. Like, I got to get out of here. Like, just give it a chance. It grows on you, strangely. I say almost eight years later now. It, we, we think, if I can just get out of this relationship. That's, that's the problem is the relationship. I just get out of it. We think, if I can just get out of this job. We get to the end of, of military. Like, oh, if I can just get out of the Air Force. Then we get close and it scares us to death. Like, oh, no, no, not ready for that. We try to escape. It is like the great Christian mess up, in my opinion, right? We spent decades talking about hope as an escape from reality, an escape from this world. We're going to escape and go to heaven. We even changed Jesus' question. Jesus asked, what are you living for? And the church asked, where are you going to go when you die? He didn't ask that question ever, ever. Nobody asked him that question. They actually asked, what does it take to be a part of your king? What does it take to be a part of what you're doing? What does it take to be a part of your dream? What does it take to live life like God intended? That's the questions that were being asked. And we turned it into an escape. And so we don't care. We don't care about the environment. We don't care about our neighbor. We don't care about people who think and act and look and pray and believe differently than us. You know, because we're going to escape this world and that's, that, you know, whatever. 
Here's what I fear. We're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to come back here. And leave us there. I mean, he did everything he could to get to earth. And we're trying to get out of here. He did everything he could to be with people. And we're trying to get away from them. He did everything he could to get in. And we're trying to escape. In the hopes that if we'll just escape this thing, this moment, this job, this whatever, that we'll find hope. And it always leaves us empty because our problems follow us. They're in us. They're with us. And they chase us. And so you can jump to another relationship, but you're still you. You can jump to another job, but you're still you. You can, you can try to escape for a few hours, but you got to come back. Like schizophrenia is the inability to come back. So we come back. problem that we find is that we need a hope that can attend to real pain and dilemma and struggle, real life that deals in the present, deals in the reality, that brings us back and gives us the ability to keep going, keep working, keep believing, keep doing what makes a difference. If it doesn't do that, it's not hope. It's an imposter. It's false. We're meant to be a part of this, to be, the, to be praying and believing and working toward your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all of the, the failures of the imposters, they leave us resigned. We, we kind of enter into this place of resignation. Well, this is just the way it is. This is the best I can do. Distract for a little while, escape, just buy stuff to feel better. Whatever I have to do, just feel better for a little bit. That's all, that's all there is. And we, that'll inevitably lead to this despair and to this hopelessness. The only answer is to find a hope that is deeper, deeper and more lasting and more permanent. And the only place that humanity has found hope is in God. In a God who is bigger than our problems, who is greater and more powerful than our situations, who has the ability to reach in and intervene in the situations that are way outside our control, that are way outside of our ability to manipulate. And we have to learn to hold on, to cling. Maybe you remember Abraham and Sarah. They were given a promise that one day they would have a kid and it wasn't happening. And they had to cling on to that promise. Cling on in spite of the barrenness, in spite of the despair, with the hope that the God who made the promise is faithful. The God who made the promise is able. The God who made the promise is the way maker, the miracle worker. He is the one I can go to when everything seems dark and my barrenness and my brokenness and my emptiness don't have the last word. I don't have to run and escape. I don't have to try to, to, to get into some other time or place and make everything better. I, I can be right here and find hope right here, right now that dives into it to find the way forward versus running away from it. The God of the Bible is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God and the only source of lasting hope. The God of the Bible is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. 
His promises are a declaration. He declares that the future will be different than the present. That he is doing something new. That he is making a way forward. That he is bringing streams into the desert. That he is our hope. And the beauty of it is because it's God who makes the promises, it's not reliant on what we can do. It's not reliant on what we can make happen. It's not reliant on what we can understand or solve or fix. It's not reliant on our faithfulness. It is reliant only on what is possible to God. And with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Our hope is in a promise-making and promise-keeping God that gives us the ability to wait in faith, to wait when we can't control the situation, when we can't make it turn out the way we want. We have to choose to trust, to hope in the face of our doubts, our questions, our fears. This was Zachariah's struggle. He walked into that holy place filled up with his doubts and his fears and his questions and why it wouldn't work and why it could never happen. And all that he could see was that, even when the angel Gabriel was standing in front of him. All he could see was his doubts. All he could see was his fears. And yet, what The one speaking to him is the God with the perfect track record on keeping promises. The one who has never broken a promise. The one who has never really let us down. Now, that doesn't mean he does everything the way I want him to. Doesn't mean he solves every problem for me. It doesn't mean it happens when I think it should or how I think it should. But it means that he's working when I can't see it. And he's working when I can't feel it. He's working when I don't know it. And I can trust that he is the God who he says he is. Because time and time he's proven it. He proved it to a group of slaves who cried out to him. And he was the God who promised and delivered on the promise to set them free. He is the God who, who delivered on his promise to lead wandering tribes in the desert into a new land flowing with milk and honey, flowing with everything they needed. He is the God who delivered on the promise to protect his people in spite of the odds when enemies attacked. He is the God who delivered on his promise to bring exiles home. Yes, his promise was in 70 years I'll bring you home. Basically, I'll bring your kids home. We don't like those kinds of promises. We want it right now, and so we don't believe it when it doesn't happen right now. He spoke to weary prophets, and he promised there's a day coming when I'm going to send a Messiah, send a king, send a savior. I'm going to send my son into this world, and he delivered on that promise on that day all those years ago, and he entered into this world as God with us, and he made a promise. He made a promise that you don't go to the temple to encounter me anymore. I'm already with you. I am in you. I am everywhere you go. I am as close as the heartbeat in your chest. I am as close as the breath in your lungs. I am with you. I am merciful. And he began to make a promise of this thing he kept calling the kingdom of God. Everything Jesus taught and did kind of get wrapped up in this symbol, this 
kingdom of God. And we don't really understand kingdoms the same way they did. And maybe it would be better for us if we think about it as the dream of God. What God dreamed humanity would have and be from the beginning of time. This is the kingdom of God. The dream of God. And Jesus taught it at every chance he got. And he lived it with every act of forgiveness. He lived it with every act of healing. He lived it as he shared a table with the forgottens and the written-offs and the nobodies and the sinners and the worst and the betrayers and the traitors and the harlots and anybody and everybody who would come sit with him. He invited invited to the table and said, you're mine, you're with me, we're together from now on, you are a part of my family. And whenever the kingdom, whenever the dream of God shows up, it just, it messes things up, right? It turns it upside down. Like we think of family as people that, that we share the same blood with. And Jesus said, no, 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 mother, father, brother, sister, there are those who do the will of God. The other disciples, your family gets bigger. It gets bigger. You're given new family. And we think about honor in our world. It's about those who have authority and those who have power. We think of those as leaders, those who make decisions. Jesus said, no, the leader is the one who serves. The one who gets on their knees and gets their hand dirty washing feet. That is the one in deserving of honor. Wealth, wealth. Wealth means blessing, right? Because now you can buy whatever you want. And yet in this dream of God, wealth is the biggest thing that has a chance to destroy your spiritual well-being. You can't serve God and stuff too. Sometimes it's the lack of money becomes the same God to us as we chase after it, thinking it's the solution to our problems. It changes the way we think about everything. Religion. Religion is no longer what I do for God. It's not about my prayers and my singing and listening to that long-winded preacher. It is about, it's about love. A God who loves us, who is for us, and sends us out to live the dream of God. But then there came a day when he hung on a cross and all those promises seemed to be breaking apart. They seemed to be falling apart. They seemed to be worthless and futile. He, he, was, he was crucified, dead. He was put in the ground, rock rolled over. It was done. The promise is broken. But in the power of God and in what God can do, there is nothing that can stop the promises of God. He is our way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the promise keeper. And not even death can stop him from keeping his promise. He raises Jesus from the dead. And it is the great promise kept. It is the the promise that there is life for all of us. That Jesus said, if you know me, death doesn't own you. There is life that keeps going on. Life that begins now and goes into eternity for those who love and follow me. There is life. There is possibility. There is hope. Because God keeps his promises. He promised that he is with us. He promised that he is merciful. He promised that he is for us. And he invites us to enter into this dream. This dream that is kind of like that Christmas parade you went to, right? Like, by the parade was here. 
But it wasn't really here until the last float went by. There is this nature to the dream of God in which it is breaking through in our world, but it's not all the way here yet. And so we gather in some ways to imagine the dream of God. Imagine what the world could be if people chose peace over power. Imagine what the, pe- what the world would be like if we chose love and hope over fear. Imagine what the world would look like if we gave people the benefit of the doubt to imagine the dream of God and to allow ourselves to enter into it for a few minutes and be so transformed that we go back and we live our lives every day as if the dream of God was breaking through in us. So every time we forgive, every time we give the benefit of the doubt, every time we sit across the table, every time we share when we were afraid to share, every time we are generous, we are the dream of God breaking through in this world. We are the promise kept of God. He is doing something in this world and invites us to be a part of it. He is breaking through over and over and over again. And he invites us to be a part of it. In Luke chapter 1, as we get to the end, we find Zechariah again. His son has been born. His son has been born. And, and his wife Elizabeth says, we're going to call him John. And they say, hold up. Nobody in your family is named John. We need, we need to ask Zechariah. And so he gets something to write with and he writes, his name is John. His voice returns and he begins first by praising God. When we see the promises of God kept, the right response is praise. He praised God for who he was, what he was doing, and what he was going to do. His hope was restored. We gather in this season to remember that we have a God who has never broken his promise. We have a God who is working when we can't see it and we don't know it. We have a God who has never betrayed us and never let us down and never forsaken us, who's promised to be with us, to be merciful, and to be for us, and to Invite us into this dream, sent out, overflowing with the possibility of life that is greater and hopeful, peaceful, and joyful. This is our God, the promise keeper. Let's pray. God, you are good, (laughs) faithful. We can trust in you. Sometimes we're tempted to to look only at promises, to look only at what you can do for us or what we think we need from you. But God, we realize in this moment that we can trust you because you are faithful. We can trust the promises because you are faithful. And would we see, God, that you are the one who has continued to be for us. You have continued to be with us. You have never abandoned us. You have been working and will continue to work in us and through us. Even when we're afraid. Even when we doubt. Even when we question. Even when we can't solve it, we can't fix it, and we don't feel like you're going fast enough. So we lean in. We choose together today to trust in you, to have hope, to have hope. In Jesus' name, amen.
And it was an honor to worship with you this morning. If you have kids or teens or life group tonight, those are happening tonight right here. We uh, look forward to seeing you there. And we'll see you next week for our Christmas services. And remember the 29th of service. Enjoy a homemade cookie on your way out. We'll see you soon.